Hey everyone, quick message from Tucson's Rising Phoenix Fitness and Defense. Help treat anxiety and depression with martial arts training and education. Develop the confidence, skills, and fitness you need to stay safe. Our focus is real-world self-defense tactics, practical and effective for everyone. You can find them at 4500 East Speedway Boulevard, number 4, Tucson AZ 85712. Or you can call them at 520-838-1592. They are open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. So hit them up. Learn martial arts, very therapeutic, and you can learn to kick ass and kick depression's ass as well. So um, hit them up. Warning, content not suitable for children. Listener discretion advised, yo. Screaming Chewy Show, your source of entertainment and overall fuckery. And it starts now. Everyone, welcome back to another exciting episode of Screaming Tree Show. I'd like to welcome actor, also with some writing and directing credits, Timothy McLaughlin. How you doing, bro? Pretty good, Chewy. How about yourself, man? Pretty good, not bad. Can't complain. Awesome. Great. Hey, man, and uh, it's good to finally meet you, man. And um, so, why don't you tell me about yourself and uh, and what you do? Hey, all right, great. Uh, I'm a veteran actor. Uh, I've been in the business about thirty. Four years right out of college. Um, I uh, earned my Bachelor of Fine Arts degree at the University of Florida. And um, I've worked for uh, live stage productions at Universal Studios in Orlando. Um, started my acting career there and uh, progressed right on out here to Hollywood. And um, I've been uh, pretty much doing it on and off ever since. Kicking ass, man. 30 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's had its ups and downs, a lot of good times, a lot of struggles, but, uh, you know, I knew what I was getting into when I decided to follow a, a career path in acting. Um, you meet incredible people, you work with amazing, amazing talent, um, you know, a lot of, lot of great stories. So did you always want to be an actor as a kid? Uh, no, actually, I didn't. Um, I was, uh, I love, I love golf. I'm a golfer. Um, so I, I, that's like one of my passions and one of my hobbies, but I always wanted to be a, a professional golfer when I was uh, young, um, and in high school. And then, um, I got into, uh, another passion. I really, really enjoyed oceanography, marine biology. I was enamored with marine life, wow. uh, spent most of my teenage years in Florida. So I traveled to the Keys a lot, did a lot of, uh, you know, did a lot of, of diving and snorkeling and stuff down there. And. And so when I entered college, I actually entered college as a marine biology major. Um, wow. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it definitely uh, 180 degrees different than uh, where I am now. But, hey, man, life does that to you. Life does that. So in uh, marine biology, uh, did you do a whole bunch of studies on the marine life itself and like the environment and all that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually uh, started my classes in marine biology. Um, at the University of South Florida. And, and I was, I, at the time, I was also enjoying, you know, some classes in theater and, and things like that, because my passion was starting to, you know, bubble up for, for acting at the same time. And, uh, and I went up to my um, Marine, I, I, I took a class called 
oceanography and plate tectonics, uh, which studied the Earth's crust under the oceans and all the moving plates and everything like that. And when I uh, I approached my professor one day after after class, and I said to him, I said, "So, I said, so, uh, you know, I'm really excited to you know this whole new field of of studying." I says, "What can I look forward to in the future?" <laughs> and the guy's face just went completely blank, and he said. He says, I hate to say it, pal, but you're going to be doing one of three things. He said, you're either going to be a professor like me, he says, or, or you're going to end on some oil drilling rig studying the rocks uh, and, the, and the drilling uh, stuff, geological formations under the water. He goes, or if you're lucky, you might end up at SeaWorld. And I was, oh, fuck. I, I was like, oh, man. Oh, that is, uh, that's that's a pretty much a gut punch there, pal. So I... I, I, I went home and I, I thought about it over uh, Christmas break. And I said, I don't want to end up on an oil rig. I don't want to. And I'm, I'm sure they make tons of money. They make awesome money. But, you know, this was all about, you know, where was I going to be happy at? And, uh, and then I decided to switch my major and I started moving more towards acting. Um, for one semester, I switched it to journalism. And then from there, I really got a passion. Um, over the summer of my freshman year, I said to myself, what am I going to do? How am I going to pursue all of this? And I went and I saw Back to the Future with Michael J. Fox. And that was the, that was the trigger. That really? Said, I, that's what I want to do, man. I said, that's what I want to do. The, the way that that film was put together and the just the incredible storytelling in that movie and I was just yeah I was hooked from that moment on so I transferred up to University of Florida I auditioned for their um, fine arts department in theater and I got I got accepted into the fine arts department and that was it that was off and running do you still miss the ocean the ocean life I I, I live about a quarter of a mile away oh man <laughs> nice and so uh yeah, my wife and I, uh, um, when we moved out here originally, we were living in uh, Santa Clarita, which was in an upper high desert area because we were raising a family and it, it was the best place to raise a family at the time. Well, now the kids are growing up and my wife and I moved down here to uh, Dana Point, which is is right along the coastline. And then and it's the whale watching capital of the world. So uh, we we wow. go to the beach. We watch the whales all the time. Um, you know, it's, it's the best of both worlds right now. So, yeah. I love the ocean as well. Um, yeah. as a kid, I would always go fishing with my dad and it's just very peaceful. Something about the ocean. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You sit there on the shoreline, you listen to the waves, you, you, you hear the see the gulls, whatever the birds, and it's just an amazing, peaceful, I get that same, but I get that same feeling when I'm a, you know, like when we go to Yosemite, we've been to Yosemite National Park. It's that same calming, just peaceful feeling, you know. And, um, you know, just quick story. Uh, one time, like long time ago, many moons ago, my sister made special brownies and uh, I had a whole bunch <laughs> of them. And I was like, OK, I got to go to sleep. I got to go to work tomorrow. And I couldn't sleep because I was just so high. So I, I'm like, I'm going to put on something boring. So I put on the National Geographic channel. And it was this, like, fucking two-hour special about the bottom of the ocean. And I'm like, oh, yeah. whoa. Like, <laughs> I got you more amped up. <laughs> yeah, they're showing how, like, the bottom of the ocean is like a giant conveyor belt. And every 10,000 years, it's a, it's a new floor or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the, the whole Pacific Rim and the Ring of Fire, uh, it's it's amazing study and watch and you see how things happen and how the crust goes, goes underneath and how, you know, the way the plates shift this way or the way they go, the subduction zones. I mean, it's really incredible. Um, you know, how the earth is literally, it's literally this breathing, you know, breathing creature really almost the way that it, you know, the way that it cycles through and, you know, when it goes under it, it gets, it gets turned into molten lava and then it comes up through the volcanoes and it recycles. And, but like you said, it's, it's like, it takes thousands and thousands of years for everything to, you know, to recycle and work through like that. But yeah, conveyor belts, a really good, uh, good example. 
Yeah, it tripped me out, man. You know, when you're talking about tectonic plates and stuff, I just remembered all that. I just find it so interesting, you know, and how they show in the bottom of the ocean. It's always looked like it's snowing and it's just particles of dead plants just constantly coming down. Yeah, yeah, gases are complete, always constantly coming up through the through the surf, surface of the, the floor, and uh, yeah, it is. It's a it's a whole other world, you know. There's you know all of these different types of vents, uh, high, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, thermal vents, and there's different marine life that live around the warmer temperatures that are so far down under the water. But uh, did you make it to work the next day? I did. I- <laughs> I eventually <laughs> fell asleep after it ended, but I couldn't stop watching it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you? Did you? That, now, when you woke up the next day, did you remember any of it? I did. I was, I was blown away. Like I was like, yeah. "What the?" F-? Yeah. I mean, sometimes these cha- these 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 National Geographic shows they'll literally teach you stuff that you have you'll you never learn anywhere else. I mean, you know, mm. some of these shows are really. I mean. They're really high quality. Uh, the other one is Planet Earth. You know, yes. they've got a whole bunch of series that are amazing to watch. Um, and you don't realize, you know, you're, you're, you're living in this tiny little ecosystem as a human being. And there's all these other ecosystems that really reign over the earth. And it's really cool to watch them, you know, really cool to see how other ecosystems function. So... Yeah, that's that's one of the things I've always been been passionate about, you know, science. Yeah. I'm a science guy. I love it, man. I could talk science all day, man. And yeah. uh, but uh, what what was your favorite project as in acting or directing or anything? What what's something that really stuck with you in your career? Well, usually the something that sticks, at least for me, it was was my first really big acting role that I had actually, it actually happened almost in the same couple of, within the first couple of years, my first big acting role that I got was, it was a low budget movie, but it had some really big names in it. Um, Ed Lee Jr. and Time Daly and Sally Kellerman and a lot of 1970s actors and actors that were, that were famous. And they, they signed on to do this project called the lay of the land. And, um, and I got this really great little part where I played a, uh, a Russian literature student who had lost his mind and he'd gone off the deep end and, nice. and uh, shaved his head and he just went nuts. And, and, uh, and I had a, a couple of really good scenes with Ed Bagley Jr. And it really introduced me into the world of professional film and professional acting because I was working with people that had been so established in the industry and working with them and the way that they made me feel, you know, just bringing me in and, and, and accepting me and not sitting there going, oh, this guy's going to muck up the whole, you know, the whole film or he's going to screw it all up. And there's just a sense of, hey, if you're there, the casting director and the directors, they think highly of you. So, so do I. And, um, you know, that really introduced me into the world of, hey, this is really how professional actors, you know, work. Uh, and then almost right after that, I think like a year later, I got a role on the HBO miniseries From the Earth to the Moon, uh, which was a, a film back in the 90s. It was a miniseries that uh, was produced by Tom Hanks. And oh, wow. um, yeah, oh, it was an amazing experience. I mean, I got to work with, again, really, really amazing actor. Um, and uh, uh, people like, uh, there was a guy named Dan Butler, who was part of, I, I, the role that I had was in the Mission Control Center. And it was one of the episodes where it was the Apollo 11 landing on the moon. Um, and, and this was my first high budget, high budget film. I mean, $25 million uh, uh, was, the, was what it was supposed to cost, but it cost a lot more when, by the time it was finished. And I mean, back then that was, you know, super high budget film. Yeah. So um, uh, the experience was great. And, and uh, I, I had a wonderful experience with Tom Hanks. Um, you know, we actually literally sat and read script with each other. Uh, one of the, one of the uh, uh, sessions that I had, uh, he actually, he actually called my agent and wanted to see me. And when I went back down there, uh, he wanted to look at me for, for more roles in the other episodes. 
So we sat there and we read script across from each other. And that was a really, at that moment, I said, all right, all right. I'm, I think I've arrived. You know, I think I've made it into that, that mm -hmm. level of acting, you know, when you're reading with someone, you know, two time Academy award winner, uh, Tom Hanks, it was, it was a great moment. So was he a really nice guy? Fantastic guy. <laughs> Funny, fantastic, casual, you know, I said, I, the casting director calls me in and as I'm coming in through the door, she says, uh, she says, Tim, I'd like you to meet Tom Hanks. Tom, this is Tim. And Tom goes, it certainly is. And he walks over and shakes <laughs> my hand and he goes, how you doing? And it was just, I mean, it was like, it was like, he was like literally right there. Like me humble as everything. Um, couldn't have been a nicer guy. Um, you know, we talked, I, I wish I, you know, I wish I would have done more projects with him. Um, but eight years later, I actually bumped into him on the back of the Paramount set in Hollywood and he remembered me. So wow. there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the, the, the beginning parts of my career, those moments where you, you make that jump and you, you're there, those are the, really the most memorables, but you know, every, every role I take is a memorable moment. So that's you when know. it really hit you. You're like, I made it. Yeah. But you know what? The interesting thing is, is that, you know, those moments are always fleeting for an actor. It's you've made it now, but next month, what are you doing? Oh, I don't do it. Now. I'm doing anything. It's uh, I, I, I had a great conversation with uh, a, a very famous actor named Alfred Molina. And um, he was, if you know who he is, he played, he played Doc Ock in the second Spider-Man movie, Dr. Octavius, the bad guy in that. And oh, uh, wow. Yeah, wow. he was really great. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a very well-known British actor on both stage and film. And, uh, and we got, we were together sitting in the limousine between takes on the episode of Monk and, um, and we're just talking and, and, you know, he's, sh he's sharing recipes that his mom used to make for him when he was a kid or his grandmother, you know, just these Christmas recipes. We were like sharing experiences. And so I turned to him and I said, Hey man, I said, uh, so what do you got lined up after this project? You know, I'm trying to maybe pick his brain, maybe say, Hey, you know, I'm available. Bring me on. Right. Nice. He goes, I don't know. He goes, he goes, I'll be an unemployed actor, just like everybody else after this. He says, I have no idea what I'm going to be doing. And it really made me feel good because he made me feel like we were of the same, you know, level, you know, because I, mm -hmm. I, I didn't have any projects lined up right after this, you know, that show. And uh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> you know, big name act like that. He's just going home and he's, you know, on his computer. Oh, here's another script they want me to read, and, you know, stuff like that. And, um, uh, but, but again, you know, for him to say that every, after every project that I finish, I, uh, I don't know what I'm doing next. So I'm an unemployed actor, you know? So a little bit of relief right there, knowing he's kind of going through the same thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he wasn't per se, but, you know, he <laughs> gave that, he, he just gave me that little bit of, of, uh, of confidence, you know, hey, listen, we're all actors, and that means that we're all part-time workers, which in and of itself is, is, is really the truth, you know? You don't know when you're going to be working on your next project. Wow. So always, uh, always just looking for, right. Always hunting for more projects, stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's true. It's just, you got to stay hungry, man. You got to stay hungry. It's so easy, which is why a lot of actors, they don't make it. They, they give up, you know, they have a passion and they get a taste of the success. And then they, you know, they, they hit a dry spell or whatever and they get frustrated and they end up giving up. Um, it's definitely not a career that you should be into for the money because <laughs> the, the paycheck is not going to always be there, man. And you better have another trade. You better have another, you know, something that's going to get you through and, uh, and pay the bills, which is what a lot of good, a lot of actors have, you know, but they're always pushing. They're always, they're always, you know, trying to be better. They're always trying to get more work and, uh, yeah, it's it's a struggle sometimes, especially this last year, man. Oh fuck! Yeah, fuck everything up, uh, man. This last year has 
has has really really put a a, a big just a spike right through my heart um you know from mm -hmm. not not having any work i mean march the film industry basically shut down i mean all my friends that i know they're not getting work so they're all, it's funny because so many of them are turning to like TikTok and you know <laughs> youtube and they're trying to make their own mm -hmm. films and, and videos and stuff just to stay relevant you know i mean a lot of big name actors yeah. out there that are that are doing these ridiculous youtube videos and uh you know, and like I said, they're holed up in their quarantine homes. So they, they literally are doing these reality type shows, just letting you see what they're doing. And yeah, you know, just so oh God, I, just, I told my wife, I go, no, don't worry. You don't have anything to worry about. Nobody's coming into our bedroom. Nobody's coming into our house to watch us. <laughs> <laughs> Camera crew no, come in. Not going to happen. No, no. It's, uh, you know, private yeah. life is private life. And, uh, you know, if, as an actor, that's something that you got to be wary of. You've got to be protected. There's some, there's some actors out there that their lives, their private lives are their private lives. You know, I mean, they'll, they'll post on Instagram or, or Twitter or Facebook with their family if they're doing something. But as far as really getting into your life, uh, you know, maybe the Kardashians can do it, but I certainly can't. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that's smart. Keep it private. I notice a lot of, like married couples, celebrities, and be on like those reality shows. A lot of them end up divorced. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, they end up getting. Uh, they end up because a lot of them, uh, you know, the 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 other spouse, whether it's the husband or the wife, man, they just don't know how to deal with the paparazzis or the, uh, the the cameras or the red carpets. And I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, it's novel when it's first happening and it's exciting to get all that attention. But, you know, to wake up in your morning in the morning and you go sit out on your back patio and you have a cup of coffee or you have breakfast and all of a sudden people are jumping over your, you know, fences and, you know, somebody's trying to, you know, get a picture of you or or the fact that the husband's always gone or the wife is always gone and they're filming for months at a time. Because that's another interesting thing. You know, when you're filming and you're filming weeks or months at a time, you're gone. You're away from your family. They don't get to see you most of the time, sometimes weeks on end. And that can put a strain on the on on a marriage at any time. That plus God knows that there's a lot of temptations uh, <laughs> right. out there in the glamour of Hollywood. Um, you know, there's you take on a role where you got a romantic scene and your spouse isn't cool with it. You know, that's that's part of the business. You know, that's you, you got to be cool with stuff like that. You can't be jealous, and uh, you certainly can't be insecure about it. Um, you know, but for the most part, they just grow apart because they're never together. So what happens? They get bored and then they, they do. They end up, uh, you know, moving into situations that are not good for the marriage. Yeah. Uh, what's the longest you've been away on, on set or filming? The longest that I've been away on filming, uh, yeah, not, not much more than a couple of weeks. So, you know, I haven't... Nice. I, I, I'm a character actor. So the, a lot of the roles that I do are small, you know, I'll go film for a couple of days. Um, and the other thing is, is that I've, ne I've never, I haven't done any projects yet. Yet. I don't know what uh, this project that I'm on, on board for called warrior of eight flags. I don't know where that's going to the film. So it might go overseas, but I've been lucky. I haven't had to go overseas to do anything. So um, like last year, I shot a film up in uh, Idaho uh, and it was a short film. It was called Fleeced. Uh, I was gone for maybe a week. So, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty much the basis of it. When I, when the bigger the role you get, the longer you're going to be on set. Um, I do the longest role that I had, I, I, I shot a total of about six or eight weeks on, and it's not on IMDb. I actually doubled, I was Jackie Earl Haley's double in the movie Nightmare on Elm Street. What? That's right, man. I was Freddy Krueger right here. Uh, I was, uh, every every role, every, every shot, every angle that wasn't basically his face was me. So, uh, you know, all the back shots, all of the really gutty, you know, all the gory shots where the hand would come in or you'd see you know, the back of me with my hat or whatever it was. Yeah. 
that was that was me. So that's uh, badass. And Jackie was great. Jackie was a fantastic actor. Um, but the thing is, is that I didn't end up getting getting credited in the movie because what they did is they filmed it, and then they they did they did all the credits already in post production, and then I guess the producers were not happy with it, and then they what they did is is they brought it back and basically did a full reshoot, and they hired me to be his double at that time. So I was basically on set for like six weeks, but everything was filmed locally here, so I didn't have to. I didn't have to, uh, you know, go abroad or anything. So I'd go home every night after shooting and be, I was able to be with my wife and family. So. Damn. So you got to yeah. do all the fun stuff, huh? <laughs> I did, man. I did. But, oh, one of the funniest things was when they first fit me, the, 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 um, the prop guy who had the, you know, the knife hands, the fingers, he was in charge of them. He spent like, I don't know how many months building them. And they were all metal and it was really, really heavy. They had two kinds. They had the metal ones, which was for all the close-ups and everything. And then they had the plastic ones, which were light. And he was able to move it around and squat and, and it wouldn't injure anybody. Um, but they fitted me. I would, I wore the, the metal ones for the most part because all the close-ups were me, were my hands. So I wore them. And he puts this, he puts the, the, the glove on me with all the, the knives and everything. And I'm holding it up like this. And he's taking some pictures and I go like this with it. And like two of the knives just fall right off. <laughs> and the director's looking at it. He's like, holy shit, man. What the hell? And, and the prop guy is just sweating because, you know, this thing costs him like $500 to build. And, and he got all pissed at me. And I said, what are you mad at me for, man? You gave me this piece of crap. It's <laughs> so... So they had to shut down production on the film for like, I don't know, like two, three hours while the guy went back to his welding shop and re-welded all the knives back on. So that was... <laughs> that was, that was fuck. Holy that shit. Was, yeah, at first I'm like, damn, I'm not going to work another day on this set. I'm so screwed, you know? What <laughs> the director, he's like, he's like, that's not your fault, man. He goes, in fact, I'm glad you did that you know, testing them out like that. Because if that happened on the middle of this, you know, in the middle of the take, that's a lot of money. Cause then they got to reshoot it. And he goes, I'm glad it happened before we even started, you know, filming all the scenes. So it all worked out, but needless to say, the prop guy wasn't happy for the rest of the shoot. <laughs> You're all just testing it out. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey man, these things are great. Oh man, that, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, man, wow. it was good.
the bar is open. Sit back, grab a cold one, and get ready for the news you didn't even know you needed. From the frozen wasteland of western North Dakota to the tropical playground of Florida, it's time for tales of wonder and amazement. Put the kids to bed and pour yourself a drink. Lock the doors and close the blinds. Break out the cocaine and hookers. It's time for Happy Hour News. What is the most dangerous book you have ever read? How about Mein Kampf by the notorious leader of the Nazis, Adolf Hitler? Or the book the Beatles warn us about in their classic song, Revolution? Quotations from Chinese Communist leader, Chairman Mao. Maybe you would hide your copy of Bertrand Russell's Why I'm Not a Christian. Or even semi-fictional works like Salman Rushdie's book, The Satanic Verses. That book had him living in hiding from angry Muhammad followers. But what about a book that is most likely not only dangerous to own and read, but could very well be illegal in many countries? Roderick Edwards' book, How to Overthrow Our Government, takes the reader on a historical and hypothetical journey of revolution, civil war, and sedition. From ancient Chinese farmers turning their farm tools into weapons, to the attempted impeachment of the U.S. President Trump, this book has it all. Get it today before it's banned forever. Hey, so I'm sure you've noticed I've been getting a lot more celebrity guests on my show. And this is all thanks to Steve Joyner. He's a publicist. And man, this guy takes his work seriously. He does not fuck around. And this guy is keeping me busy, yo. He, yeah, I'm just getting so many celebrity guests. Thank you so much, Steve Joyner. And um, if you yourself are an actor, director, producer, and you are looking for a uh, publicist, do not hesitate to contact Steve, right? He is a really cool guy. You'll love him, okay? His phone number is 816-605-4561. Or if you would like to email him, it's uh, all one word, starts with a capital S. And it's stevesjnetwork at gmail.com. So again, starts with a capital S. And then it's T-E-V-E-S-J-N-E-T-W-O-R-K at gmail.com. Tell him Screamy Chewy sent you. You will not be disappointed. And uh, yeah, so big shout out to you, Steve. Thanks again, bro. Peace. So 30 years, man. Have you have you ever experienced anything like what's what went on last year? Like this whole time being in the industry? No, never. Uh, oh, no. You know what? Actually, no, I did. I experienced something like this when I was in Florida and my acting was really coming coming together. Um, I was working with Jonathan Crane on the uh, on, on my first film. Jonathan Crane produced the movie, The Lay of the Land with Ed Begley Jr. and them. And, and he really liked my work. And, um, and, and he said, you gotta get out here to California. He says, you can get a lot of work out in California. So that kind of started the wheels turning to come out west. Um, after a couple of other projects, I had um, two or three television shows that I was involved in. And I had a, like two or three commercials that I was in. And I turned to my wife and I said, no better time than the present. Let's do it, you know? So we sold our house and we moved out here. And like a month after, well, month or two after I moved out here, the writer's strike and the oh. actor strike. So the actor strike happened. And I'm like, oh man, I couldn't do any work because I was a union actor. So I, I could not do any, I would lose, would have lost my SAG card and everything if I tried to do non-union work. So I'm sitting there and I'm unemployed and we're living off all of my residuals from all the work that I had going on. But, you know, and it lasted a year. It lasted a whole year. So by the time the, the actor strike was over, then the writer strike was right behind it. So I mean, a year and a half, oh I had God. no work. I had no work. So I'm like, oh, what am I going to do, man? 
and then when things finally started back up, you know, all the casting directors and all the agents, they're like, well, what have you done lately? You know? And I said, well, I, I did a crap ton of work about a year and a half ago before everything shut down, <laughs> you know? And so it literally was like restarting up the whole factory again, you know? I go, okay, well, what do I have to, okay, well, then I, I, I started um, taking classes, acting classes out in Hollywood. I started, you know, uh, networking with other people, trying to get, you know, back on track. And it took me about, it took me another year and a half before I finally got another good agent and a manager. And, you know, yeah, that was, that was probably tougher than COVID. Damn, man. Set you back a lot. Yeah, it set us back a lot because, I mean, I was fresh coming out. Uh, I had a lot of good work, you know, in books, but, you know, and then my wife was pregnant and then uh, I lost my father to cancer. I mean, all that just blew right up. You know, 2001 was a tough year. Tough year was 2001. And then, you know, I slowly got it back on track. And, um, you know, started getting more and more work, started doing some stage productions, theater stuff. And, you know, yeah, it took me a while. But then, uh, you know, things happen. You know, you got to balance. You know, it's, it's tough. Um, a lot of the reasons why actors get divorced from their spouses also is because they commit more time to their craft, to acting, than they do to their marriage. And the marriage suffers and dies and it's tough. It's, it's really tough to have both of them working a lot. So there were, there were times when I had to make decisions, you know, Hey, listen, I'm having some personal issues in my family. I got to focus on that. So I'm going to take a break from acting and, you know, get that back together and then, you know, reboot, and you know, try to figure it out. Smart. Yeah. You're doing yeah, something it's the only right. Way it's, it's, it, it's the only way it works. Oh no, man. I'm, I'm so blessed. I have an incredible wife Been married for, 26 years been together with for 30 years whether i have two sons who are grown up and uh, making their way in the world now so yeah yeah so now's the time which is why this this is all coming together because that's what you have to do as an actor and when covid hit i said i gotta do something different man i said i got i gotta come out on the other side of this with a different look with a different persona you know you've got to reinvent yourself if you want to be a good actor, you're reinventing yourself every four, five, six years. You have really? to. You have to. Oh, yeah. You have to. I mean, you move in different roles. I mean, when you're in your 20s and 30s, you're, you're really working towards specific type of roles. Like, I did all nerd characters. I did all these geeks. Um, you know, like I, my life, I did some live stage work. I, Universal, I played. Lewis Tully in the Ghostbusters, the geeky accountant, Rick Moranis character. You know, I did that for four years. I've played accountants and lawyers and little Weasley guys and stuff like that. <laughs> and as I got older, you know, as I got older, I started, you know, then I started taking on these more, more mature roles, um, you know, roles of fathers, um, you know, and then I, <laughs> I, had, I had a couple of other roles. I did a, an NBC pilot called Awake where I played this pedophile teacher who kidnaps a kid, you know? Oh, um, yeah, man, you can see the picture on my IMDb page where I have no facial hair and they put a wig on me. I've got this like redheaded wig. Oh man, I looked, I look creepy. I came, I showed my wife, the, I showed my wife the pictures and she said, damn, that's, um, that's, that's scary crap right there. <laughs> I'm so glad you don't look like that normally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, man. Uh, yeah, I, I think the beard and the facial hair, man. You look fucking awesome. I like it. You gotta, you gotta do this. And and I am. It's. Uh, I told my wife I started doing some uh, uh, some stills. I got a great, fantastic photographer named Paulo Casio, and and he started doing some shots with me with like like glasses of whiskey, you know, Hey man, you, you look like a Scottish guy, you know, let's do it. So we started doing oh, some yeah. product, some product, um, you know, stuff. I, I have one where I'm, I'm holding a Havana, you know, and I'm smoking a Havana and I look like, you, Oh man, you, you got like Fidel Castro going there, man. <laughs> and then I, uh, and, and then, and then you do other stuff. Uh, uh, I had a, um, another role. He, oh, he says, man, you could be the most interesting guy in the world. 
He says, that last guy that they cast was like crap. He says, they went from the really cool old guy and then they had this young guy who was terrible. And so he says, you, they need to go back to the old guy, man. You'd be perfect. You got this. And, you know, yeah, I don't always drink beer, but what I do. Dude, I can totally yeah. see that. I can totally yeah. see that. Yeah, you know, that, that kind of, so that's the kind of, um, that's the kind of roles that I've been working more towards. Um, I, I played, I did another TV pilot with Cedric the Entertainer. And um, I played a, uh, I played the owner of a Russian strip club. <laughs> and so I had to, I had to do the, I had to talk like, you know, I had to, you had to have the Russian accent. Uh, you know, if you want to come to my place, you want to dance, you need to you be this particular way. And, you know, I had to do all of the Russian and then, you know, and I, I, uh, uh, I, it was a great, and I said, when I came home, I, I turned to my wife and I go, I'm starting to evolve into these different roles that they're looking at. And so, uh, so I grew the beard out and I've totally changed my look. Um, you know, I, I have a, a, a commercial and a, and a, a print agent, but I'm still trying to get back to getting a theatrical agent because that's the biggest thing that happened for us actors. I'd say about 50% of the acting community lost their agents and, uh, and managers because when COVID hit, some of them couldn't even survive. They went out of business. So mm -hmm. the, and the other ones trimmed down their roster. They, they cut like everybody and only kept a handful of the ones that were currently, you know, making good money. Um, so it's, it's a tough business. So I lost my agent, you know, so I've had to sit here and go, okay, man, I need to get a new agent. So, you know, this is a whole part of the reinventing process. Um, and it's a lot of hard work. So. It's always grinding. And I like that about what you said about reinventing yourself. That's pretty smart. Cause um, I heard that a lot of like, um, you know, casting, um, you know, and directors and stuff the, you got to look the part, right? That's a very important part. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it and, but it's, you know, here's the thing. A director may have a specific a character in mind when he's casting a role. And then sometimes you can get actors that can come in there and they can make the director change their mind completely about what they perceive that guy's role to be. Um, it, it, it really is interesting. I mean, you know, um, going back to talking about the Spider-Man movies, the first ones that... Um, uh, Oh, uh, what's his name was in? I can't. Uh, what's the guy that played Spider Man in the first ones? I uh, Toby Maguire. Totally, Toby Maguire. There it is. Yeah, Toby Maguire. Um, I heard Toby wanted the role so badly. I mean, he literally made his own audition tapes, and he created the character, and then he sent them um, off to the producers and directors, and they loved his take on it. So. Sometimes actors get cast in roles uh, that were totally different than what the directors or producers had originally, you know, thought that role was going to be like. Um, and there's a lot of big name actors that really wanted to do certain roles. And the directors, producers like, no, nah, I, I can't see you in that role. You know, don't. and then these actors pursued it and they had to show and prove to them, uh, you know, that they were worthy of the roles. And a lot of times they convinced them. Yeah. Got to show them you like can you do, do it. You do. No, you got to you gotta get out there and you've got to, you, you have to get out of com your comfort zones every single time. And you have to do, sometimes you got to do extreme. You got to do the extreme. And the extreme will either get you shot down or it'll get you embraced and, hey, man, come on, that was great. But you got to take chances. You got to take chances. Uh, and there's a lot of failure. Um, that's the one thing that there is in this industry is a lot of failure. You just got to be okay with it. Like that great advice, man. And, um, yeah, any new, any new projects you're working on that you could talk about or. Uh, well, like I said, the, the one I'm um, attached to, it's called warrior of eight flags. And, um, they were supposed to start filming it, I think last summer. And then, you know, they, they shut everything back down again when the spike happened and, I think what they're doing is a script rewrite on it. And hopefully in the spring, maybe the summer, there'll be more, you know, there'll be more to tell. Uh, I finished two projects and they're in post-production right now. And they're both short films. 
One is about an eight minute short film that's gonna end up going to the uh, festivals. And then the other one is a 40 minute short film, which right now, I don't know what's gonna happen with it because it, it had some tragic uh, uh, endings to it in, in post-production. Not tragic ending from the script point of view, but uh, the writer and director uh, had some tragic events that happened. <laughs> that, that, well, it, it made mainstream news. It oh. made mainstream news um, for, for a little while. Um, the She was an actress, but she, um, she was with um, uh, John Johnston, if you know who he is. He was the director of the first Captain America movie. Oh, damn. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm not, not John Johnston. Excuse me. Joe Johnston. And Joe Johnston's claim to fame was he created all of the Star Wars basically props uh, he like he designed the death star he was like art, you know, the art, artistic designer for the star wars movies so he basically built all of the x-wing fighters and you know everything for george lucas and then he he went on to do some directing anyway um his girlfriend was molly fitzgerald and uh uh they had they had just separated or broken up and she got together and she was with a friend of mine who was a composer. Anyway, long story short is she approached me. She wanted me to do this short film with her. So she cast me in it. And, um, and she also cast a, uh, um, an Emmy Award winning actor by the name of Kim Estes. And we went through and we filmed it and it all got done and it all got put into the can and they were going through the post-production stages of it and the editing. And she went off the deep end and uh, she literally uh, went in her car, drove back to Kansas. And then now she's in jail for um, killing her mother. Holy fuck. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said. I got a call. I was with my wife on a New Year's Eve cruise and I get this phone call and I pick it up and we're in international waters. We're out in the Caribbean. And I go, yeah, who's this? And she goes, she says, uh, I'm a reporter for the such and such. And she says, she says, do you have anything you want to tell us or say and uh, about what happened? And I go, I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> and then she told me, she goes, well, didn't you hear Molly Fitzgerald just killed her mom? And I go, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So as soon as I got off the cruise, I, I called my buddy and I, I said to him, I said, what happened? And he says, dude, you don't even want to know. He said, she went berserk where, you know, where she took off in the car. She took all this crap. And he, he gave me a short story, but in the end he says, yeah, she got into an argument with her mom and uh, stabbed her to death. And I said, Oh my God, really? Oh, wow. Whoa. So now the entire film is literally sitting in my possession. I have it and I can't do anything about it because it's under her LLC and uh, and and she's just, you know, in jail. And I, I'm trying to figure out right now how to get it released so that we can finish doing the editing and uh, and get it out there because it's a really cool, cool movie. Oh my god! Of, yeah, but you know, a lot of things like that happen that you never hear about. You know, for every movie that makes it to the big screen, Chewie, there's like. 25 of them that never even get out of the can. They end up on a shelf and they never get shown to anybody because of various uh, things that come up. I mean, there'll be legal battles for the rights. There'll be arguments. There'll be lawsuits. I mean, and it'll just keep the film in the closet until they forget about it or, you know, a, a, a judge says, no, nah, man, this guy's got, and then, then it goes away and it just vanishes. Which is sad because, uh, you know, a lot of good projects that never make it to the screen. So unfortunate. And you're right. Like, a lot of people don't realize how common it is, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah. It, and it is. It's very, very common. It's very common. You, you sit down with a, a lot of actors. They'll tell you, oh, yeah, I've, I've got, you know, 150 credits, but there's only 50 credits on my IMDb or there's only 70 credits on there because the other 75 never made it to the, uh, to the screen. And in order for, for you to get an IMDb credit, it has to make it to the screen. So oh. I've got, yeah, I got a lot of projects that I, that I haven't, uh, 
that are not on my IMDb. Like I said, the, the pilot, um, the pilot awake that I did, um, they actually ended up reshooting my entire scene and changed the character and did it with somebody totally different, you know? And then, uh, the, the pilot I did with Cedric, the entertainer never got picked up. Nobody ever really watched it. It didn't get to the big screen and, uh, you know, lots of other films. So, yeah, man, and you were a double for Freddy Krueger, yo. Like, yeah, damn. that was a lot of fun. That was that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun going in there and watching everything and then seeing everything. And Mari, uh, Rudy Mari, she played the um, she played the, the victim in uh, not the victim but the star in the Nightmare on Elm Street. And um, you know, you get to see different actors on how they approach the characters and everything. So, yeah. Wow, man! Very great advice. And um, any any uh, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, you know your projects. Um, what you do? Well, the best the best way to to keep track and and keep up on my stuff is my IMDb page, and it's imdb.me backslash Timothy McLaughlin. That'll take you to my IMDb page, and you can see stuff that's coming up, anything I'm I'm working on, anything that I've been attached to. Uh, and then you can also, uh, I think somewhere there, you can also leave like fan notes if you want to ask me questions. There's like a message page on uh, IMDb that you can navigate through. You can, you can follow me, I'm pretty sure, on IMDb. Um, I'm, not, I'm not doing the Twitter thing uh, much these days because there's just too much, too much political <laughs> yeah. uh, it's crazy. chaos up there. I just, I, it's, that is one less thing that I need on my plate right now. And so I'm not on, not on Twitter right now. Um, I do have an Instagram account. Uh, I will post pictures and if I'm on set, I'll post a picture um, or uh, just some of my, you know, some of my private life stuff, you know, I'll take a picture of my wife and I'll be at the beach and we'll take some pictures and uh, you know, I'll post them up there. I'll, 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 you know, attach some, some notes and things and let everybody know how I'm doing. And, you know, those are the two best places. If you go to my IMDb page, there's a couple of links. My Instagram page has a link to the IMDb. You know, those are my two platforms. Um, my publicist, uh, Steve Joyner, great guy. Um, he's working on getting uh, a website up for me because I've done this this whole reinvention of myself. He wants to um, uh, he wants to help me out. So we might do that in, in a few weeks. We'll see how things go. But um, you know. Right now, those are the best places, man. Thank you for coming on, man, and um, great advice. And uh, just keep on kicking ass, man. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm doing it. You too, man. You look like you're doing well. Thank you. Yep, trying. Yeah. <laughs> you're hanging, hanging in there, man. Don't go, don't go uh, melting in the desert down there. I'll try. <laughs> it can be pretty crazy in the desert. <laughs> I know. I went. I, I've been down there. I've been down to uh, Phoenix area there in the summertime. It's like 125 degrees, and all the plants man, have spikes and venom and shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was. My wife and I almost moved to Austin uh, last year, and uh, I, we were looking at property down in the Austin area in Texas, and and we open up the door to, uh, uh, I don't know if it was an outdoor, like a greenhouse or whatever, open the door, man. And there's, there's scorpions are walking around. And I'm like, what the hell? What, I, 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 what, and the, and the real estate, oh yeah, they're like cockroaches out here. I'm like, what? You're cockroaches, man? So yeah, they'll get in your house. You got to check your shoes in the morning. And I go, yeah, no, I'm not moving to Texas. Sorry, man. That's yeah. not happening. But you guys got like tarantulas and right, got tarantulas things. out there, don't you? Mm -hmm. yeah. yep. Well, we got the rattlesnakes here too. Yeah, that's not, uh, you know, they usually run away from you. But, you know, flipping on a light switch and seeing a tarantula on the floor going across like that. Ah, my wife's not a big fan of that. Yeah, and then we got the <laughs> camel spiders or the sun spiders. Yeah, um, those things are big too. Yeah. And they're, they're brave. Huge. They'll chase you too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I saw one video where, where a guy was posting it. His went outside and this up quarter of and he's zooming on I said no thanks man I'm not doing that I don't think yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> so I live by the ocean <laughs> there's not as much of that 
you know, and um, man, you're a lucky guy, man. I, I, I wish someday I'll live by the ocean. You know, like I told you, I also myself love the 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 beach, and um, I love animals as well. And yeah, stay, stay. Are you still there, bro? A, a calming place to be. You have to have something that you can go to where you can leave the chaos that's going on Man, step away from the TV, step away from the computer. Um, you know, you got to find a, you got to find a balance somewhere. It's otherwise you're going to go nuts and, and, and stab your mother or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Very true. (laughs) Oh man. It's been great. It's been great talking to you, buddy. Thank you, man. Thanks again. You have a good one. Hey, you bet, man. Take care. Bye. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. And if you'd like to support this podcast, check out anchor.fm slash screamingchewygmail.com. Any contribution is greatly appreciated and that makes you my producer. If not, that's cool. I'm just happy you're tuning in. And hey, Screaming Chewy Show merch. Yeah, that's right, at teespring.com. Just Google teespring, T-E-E spring, Screaming Chewy Show. Just Google that, it'll take you right there. And uh, yeah, you could buy hoodies, t-shirts, socks, masks, you know, if there's any stuff you'd like to see on there or purchase, just let me know and I'll add it on. And uh, yeah, you'll be rocking, styling, social media. Don't forget to follow me on there on Facebook, Screaming Chewy Show. I like to share memes, just make up stupid shit, share my episodes on there and just whatever. Um, Check out my YouTube for video versions of my podcast episodes also in between episodes i like to add me streaming yeah watch me get scared playing a creepy game or die playing PUBG or some shit you know what i mean and uh yeah just check out my youtube and uh twitter it's at screaming chewy yeah not screaming chewy show i should change it to that but for now it's just screaming chewy and uh thanks again for tuning in see you next week peace